Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Thank you, Roshi. Good morning, everybody. A beautiful day here in Rhode Island. I hope uh, is as beautiful wherever you happen to be. So today I have the task of speaking to you about right livelihood, continuing along with our discussion of the Eightfold Path. I can't say that I particularly look forward to this discussion. Right livelihood is a topic which most people would really rather not deal with. But at the same time, it's incredibly important. You know, I went to church for for years. I don't remember ever hearing the priest talk about how people made their living. You know, they praised and condemned many, many things, but how people made their living was just not one of them. And even here in Buddhist practice, we rarely talk about how important our livelihood is even though if you go to any cocktail party, it's probably the first thing that anybody asks you, how do you make a living? But nobody really is that interested in the answer. And nobody is really that interested in the question. It just is a good icebreaker. But when you think about it, livelihood, how we make our living, for most people accounts for an inordinate amount of the time that they actually spend living. People tend to think of their job as one thing and their, their daily life as something else, but really your job is the greatest portion of your daily life. And in that sense is your, the greatest portion of your Zen practice. Zen practice doesn't stop when you get off, off the cushion or you leave the dokusan room. Zen practice continues on throughout every corner of your life. So what do we mean when we talk about right livelihood? Traditionally, right livelihood is thought of as, number one, avoiding certain kinds of jobs. So anything which involves killing any sentient being, that could be butchering, being a soldier involved in killing, or associated businesses, manufacturing or selling weapons. And you could also include in that 
manufacturing and selling products which are harmful and um, shorten people's lives. For example, tobacco. And in the modern world, you could include working in areas that are contributing to climate change, which threatens people's lives and property in a very direct way. So people who are engaged in the fossil fuel industry, for example, Also dealing in drugs or intoxicants or poisons. Or professions which engage in a routine fashion in lying or cheating or taking advantage of others naivete or ignorance. And you might include in this area advertising or real estate. certain kinds of politics. And finally, another category is in dealing in traffic in human beings, which would include all kinds of involuntary servitude. So that's one side is all of the professions which are forbidden. And then the other side is not an obligation, but a suggestion that you should make your living in a profession which is honorable and blameless and innocent of harm to others, preferably one which actively helps others, but at least that doesn't actively harm others. So those are, those are the conditions of right livelihood. And in some ways it seems like a low bar, but I think the point here is to always be looking at your life from moment to moment, from day to day, week to week, year to year, and get a sense of what the relationship between your heart and mind and the way you earn a living is. 
what is the proper work-life balance? How many hours a week? How many weeks in a year can you work without sacrificing family, friends, mental and spiritual development, emotional development, How do you find a profession which doesn't crush you emotionally, mentally? And for many of us, this seems to be not that difficult a task. Many of the people in our Sangha have the privilege of being well-educated, financially sound, with a certain degree of freedom that they can pick and choose professions. And yet many people find themselves locked into a job that they hate, a role that they feel doesn't suit them. And what do you do? How do you deal with that? Especially when, because of the structure of our society, your job is not simply the way that you earn your money, but often the way in which you derive a sense of security in terms of health insurance, health coverage, a place in society. So what do you do? It's a hard question. There are many people who struggle with that. It's easy to say, abandon a job which doesn't allow you to remain blameless and innocent of harm to others. Even if that was not your intention at all when you took the job, abandon a job which is crushing the soul out of you. And it's a hard, hard thing. There are no easy answers in this. And what about our obligation, regardless of what our livelihood is, to make sure that the livelihood of others can give them a decent living, a living wage, so that they don't have to work three jobs in order to support themselves and their family. What is our obligation towards right livelihood of all people in society? 
And I don't have the answers any more than you do. But these are questions that we need to consider and to look at. I can say a few words on the Zen attitude towards work and livelihood. Zen was one of the first of the Buddhist sects which emphasized self-reliance even for monastics. There was always, of course, the need to rely to some degree on the Sangha or Dana for donations. But at the same time, there was a recognition that monasteries should be to at least some degree self-supporting. So there was always the dynamic between work that allowed the monks to obtain their own sustenance and the obligation that ran, runs both ways for Donna. When I say runs both ways, there is an obligation on monastics to give the Sangha the opportunity. And when I say the Sangha, that is in reality um, a much broader uh, term than just people who come to worship with us, to uh, sit with us and practice with us, but the community in general. It's important to give everyone the opportunity to express generosity. That is the purpose of the <clears throat> custom in Japanese monasteries of Takahatsu, of begging. Of course, part of the reason for Takahatsu is that the monastery relies to some degree on the contributions of the Sangha and the community. But also the community relies on the monks to give the opportunity to express generosity towards Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. So it's a two-way street. The attitude of Zen towards work is famously illustrated in a story about Yakujo. Yakujo was uh, Rinzai's teacher. This is from the um, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones collection. Wonderful collection if you haven't read it already. Yakujo the Chinese Zen master, used to labor with his pupils even at the age of 80, trimming the gardens, cleaning the grounds, and pruning the trees. 
the pupils felt sorry to see the old teacher working so hard, but they knew he would not listen to their advice to stop. So they hid away his tools. That day the master did not eat. The next day he did not eat, nor the next. He may be angry because we have hidden his tools, the pupil surmised. We had better put them back. The day they did, the teacher worked and ate the same as before. In the evening, he instructed them, no work, no food. And that last line sometimes is translated as, a day of no working is a day of no eating. And that's a really fine sentiment and a good lesson for each of us. A day of no working is a day of no eating. But of course, an overgeneralization. And it's always hard to define exactly what constitutes work. My wife has not held a paying job since our kids were born. We are fortunate to have the situation where my income is sufficient and more than sufficient to sustain the household. And so she's been able to be the chief executive officer of the household, which is a job that I have no talent for. And so she deals with all of the day-to-day -day running of the household. In other words, she is the shikario of the Diffin household, dealing with all of the details of day-to-day -day functioning of the household. And I contribute as well as I can with household chores and shopping, etc. But I leave almost all of the decisions about what needs to be done in terms of fixing the house or uh, dealing with the children's education or this or that. It's a division of labor that has worked for us. And I actually give her a salary for doing this job, not nearly what it deserves, but that is the division that we have. And of course, she has community property rights for everything. But that's her livelihood. So a day of no work does not mean a day of 
not making money. Day of not contributing. Contributing in whatever way possible. And sometimes the contributions that we make that are most important have nothing to do with making a living. They may be helping out in some charitable organization, volunteering. They may be working on art, whether music or poetry, visual arts, dance, the contribution of beauty, which sustains us all. Right livelihood is about more than simply what you do from nine to five. And it's always hard from the outside to assess what's going on in one, in somebody else's profession, somebody else's job. There's another story from Zen Flesh, Zen Bones called The Stingy Artist. Gessen was an artist monk. Before he would start a drawing or a painting, he always insisted upon being paid in advance and his fees were high. He was known as the stingy artist. A geisha once gave him a commission for a painting. How much can you pay? Inquired Gessen. Whatever you charge, replied the girl but I want you to do the work in front of me. So on a certain day, Gessen was called by the geisha. She was holding a feast for her patron. Gessen with fine brushwork did the painting. When it was completed, he asked the highest sum of his time. He received his pay. And then the geisha turned to her patron saying, all this artist wants is money. His paintings are fine, but his mind is dirty. Money has caused it to become muddy. Drawn by such a filthy mind, his work is not fit to exhibit. It is just about good enough for one of my petticoats. Removing her skirt, she then asked Gessen to do another picture on the back of her petticoat. How much will you pay? asked Gessen. Mm, any amount, answered the girl. Gessen named a fancy price, painted the picture in the manner requested and went away. 
It was learned later that Gessen had these reasons for desiring money. A ravaging famine often visited his province. The rich would not help the poor, so Gessen had a secret warehouse unknown to anyone, which he kept filled with grain prepared for those emergencies. From his village to the National Shrine, the road was in very poor condition and many travelers suffered while traversing it. He desired to build a better road. His teacher had passed away without realizing his wish to build a temple and Gessen wished to complete this temple for him. After Gessen had accomplished his three wishes, he threw away his brushes and artist materials and retiring to the mountains, never painted again. Another example of right livelihood. Sometimes we don't know the motivation that drives people. And sometimes we don't even know the motivation that drives ourselves. But that's something always to ask of ourselves. What is my motivation in this activity, whatever the activity is? But especially an activity which we devote so much of our lives to. For most people, our livelihood, making a living, takes up the majority of our waking life. And if you include the time spent commuting to and from the job, it may be an inordinately large portion of our lives. So it's always good to keep in mind what you are doing and why. What is your motivation? What are you bringing to your job? What are you leaving there? What are you sacrificing? And a job does not have to be a high paying job, a job which brings recognition, respect. Some of the people who I think are happiest in their chosen profession, from what I can observe, are people who may have jobs which other people may consider menial. I know particularly one cashier at the hospital cafeteria who is such a bodhisattva. Every time that I go to her, she greets me with a smile, with a cheerful attitude, with an expression that seems to say, please, please enjoy yourself. Have a good day. 
with such kindness and such open-heartedness that sometimes I'm almost ashamed because she is just such a pure heart. And I'm so caught up in the activity of my profession that sometimes I lose sight of people. And I hope that whatever job that you have, whatever means of obtaining your livelihood you have, you might bring that bodhisattva attitude that this wonderful cashier has, this kindness and open-heartedness so that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you can serve as a source of light and humanity to all that you come in contact with. And that's all I have to say right now. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.